Welcome to the latest episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the Professor, and my co-hosts are Buck and the DJ. How have you been going, DJ? Oh, I've been going good. Busy yep. assignments. And you only just got off work. You're burning the midnight oil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though it's only like quarter to nine. <laughs> After this recording, I'm going to play a, play a whole uh, midnight oil album just to, just to go. I'm burning that midnight oil right now. The thing is, you're old enough. You probably saw Midnight Oil live, didn't you? No, I'm not that old. All right, if you say so. What about you, Buck? I've never seen them live either. I was asking how you've been, but okay. <laughs> Pardon? I was asking how you've been, but okay. Ah, well, yeah, okay. Well, done. Great. <laughs> and I'm old enough, but I've never seen them live. Or am I old enough? The question is, are you old enough that you stopped going to concerts before they stopped tour before they started touring? And DJ's young enough to have not been to a concert because they stopped touring? Actually, I don't I think... think you're that old though. I don't I have no idea when Midnight Oil started and stopped. Well, I think um they were still doing some touring when I was going to concerts. I still go to concerts when I can. My la- what was my, my my last concert was a couple of years back, um Evanescence. At the um, entertainment center, and that Did was it'll wake you up inside. Ah, oh, save me! <laughs> I don't go to concerts because anyone I'd want to go to a concert for is dead. Really? Who? Who would? Okay, if 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 God said David I would Bowie. bring back, I'll bring bring back a person to do a tour, one last tour kind of David thing. Bowie. Who would you want? To, Dave Bowie. That's the only appropriate answer. How about you, Buck? Who would you pick? Um, honestly, I saw Billy Joel. And Elton John in concert together. I've seen Joe Cocker. Um, probably the Beatles, as they were back before Yoko. The Beatles, eh? How about Michael what? Jackson? Yeah. No? Nah? Do, I, do I have anything about me that strikes you as a Michael Jackson fan? Nah, I don't but, think so. Buck's obviously a Beatles fan. He's got to get in touch with his inner Brit. Nah, uh, oh, yeah. Anyway, no, no. speaking of uh, the dead... Our first topic tonight is Spock. Hey? That came out wrong. Speaking of the dead, our first topic Did somebody is forget Spock. to tell me something again? I'm very sorry. It's terminal. <laughs> anyway, our first topic this week is Bucks about the dead. <laughs> that is um, one of the best segues yes. we've ever heard right now. <laughs> Calling it out there. From, from our sexiest... Um, but anyway, moving along. Um, yeah, this week um, there's been an announcement that Egyptian archaeologists have unearthed a collection of intact and sealed ancient coffins that are around about three thousand years old. There's, there's, I think it's thirty in total, and they were hidden in the southern city of Luxor. And they're believed to have been priests and priestesses. And just to be clear, that's Luxor in Egypt, not Luxor in Las Vegas, right? Yes. Although there might be some Egyptian archaeologists in Las Vegas. There's probably a few dead people in Las Vegas too. <laughs> no, no, Perfectly no. Perfectly preserved from all the cocaine. Well, that or the concrete. 
But yeah, no, um, I'm just trying to find there was there was male male and female priests and children dating back to 10th century BC or the 22nd Pharaonic dynasty, and there was two children. I think it was yeah, 20, 23 adult males, five adult females, and two children. Um, apparently, they were arranged in two layers with 18 coffins on top of 12 others, and they've opened the coffins of a man and a woman, and they're able to tell who are the men and who are the females based on their, the shape of their hands because apparently the females are buried with their hands open and men are buried with their hands closed. And it's said to be the most monumental discovery in a century or so. So do they still do the, um, well, back in the day, did they, are these like traditional mummies with the arms crossed and like you'd see in a, a horror movie? Probably not like what you see in a horror movie. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I can't actually see a photo of how they look like because they're still all in the sarcophagi. So yeah, generally, I'm guessing probably be with the arms folded across the chest, as it was what I believe was the standard pose. But other than that, I can't really say. But looking at the images that I can access from one of the links, it, the sarcophagi are beautifully embellished with all of the um, hieroglyphics still. So. And they're all going to be getting restored and put on display at a new museum that's opening at Giza. It's interesting that they're all stacked on top of each other, like uh, some sort of mass grave. But they've obviously gone to a lot of trouble embalming them. These were all hidden to stop them from being pillaged by grave robbers by one of the priests. Oh, so they were moved there after the original burial? Um, Well, they haven't actually said... Exactly what happened was just it was hidden in a special antechamber that was sealed and hidden away, and nobody was able to find it. But yeah, there's a lot of excitement about it because the fact that they're they're still fully wrapped and sealed and in such perfect condition is pretty rare to find, especially for this number of um, sarcophagi. So the thing is, normally in a horror movie, they'd break into the one tomb and they'd get one mummy chasing after them. <laughs> yeah. See, that's These the guys thing. just done after like a footy team of mummies. <laughs> um, well, you see, depending on the status of the person, some people were actually like they had um, the roadway or the, the causeway, and pe- some of the people would be buried in different areas off to the sides, depending on how rich they were and important they were. Um, and some of them would be buried in a chamber, but then they'd have other, like, they'd have other people who were attendants to be buried in smaller tombs near them, and it would basically be just a tunnel going straight down. There was a documentary I was watching just the other week, actually, amazingly enough, and, yeah, they had a shaft that was dug straight down. I think it was um, 40 or 50 feet down. And then there was a, it was a small, almost like a quarter of the size of a um, garage sort of thing. You couldn't stand upright in it. And there was enough room for just one body in a sarcophagus with all the painting on the walls for all the hieroglyphics and everything like that. So, yeah, um, it's not this, they're not always the great big massive multi-faceted rooms and everything like that. I wonder how did they go through all the traps and stuff in the... It, it, because Egyptian pyramids are notorious for deadly traps. Are they? Oh, 
in pop in in in, in, in most movies. Ah, so you're you're saying it's based on the movies, all of them are. Um, there there might be some traps on some of it, but most of them, especially for things such as the curse. Um, yeah, the curse that was made famous with Tutankhamun, um, crypt opening was just the the bad air because it had been sealed up for so long, and it was just the first when it was cracked open. It was only those people who were close to it who breathed in that that first bit of bacteria laden air that suffered. But that's all that about- was. Oh, but what's weird about the Tutankhamun curse was the whole the freaky events that happened after. Like uh, I think um, one had a one had a shaving accident that turned freaky. Well, I you don't what you... hear about all the time someone dug up a grave and didn't die in a horrible coincidental way. And the other thing you're overlooking there is the thing known as the self fulfilling prophecy, where ah. people will try to find excuses to justify it and relate it back to the prophecy. So yeah, a lot of lot of that is just pure nonsense. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the Tutankhamun curse. Uh, they call it the curse of the pharaohs. It's just the bad air that was yeah. inside the tomb. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, it's called Kohinoor, the uh, the crown jewel, the bloody great diamond they found in India. Oh, the Hope Diamond. No, I don't think that's it. It's a uh, Kohinoor. Diamond was South Africa, wasn't it? Kohinoor is a. Uh, I think it's part of the British crown jewels now, and. Everyone who owned it up until it ended up with the royal family died, like while they owned it, of a uh, of an accident or a shipwreck or things along that those lines. Yeah, I think that's the one. It's known as the Star of India, and it's on the crown. Yeah. Okay, so I reckon with this um, discovery, I I hope it brings archaeologists back to um, Egypt after after what Egypt's been going through for the last few years now. Um, well, that's part of what they're hoping for is. It's not just the archaeologists, it's tourism in general. So since they had the Arab Spring about a decade ago and the revolution against Mubarak or whatever his name was, um, tourism has dropped off dramatically in Egypt and it's one of the major sources of income for a lot of people. So yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, you know how we were talking earlier on about the, uh, the army of mummies chasing down a pit? chasing down people here's a question for you would you call a mummy a zombie no no how are you professor they're related but there's big differences in the mythology behind them so i don't think like they're in the same family being undead monsters but they're not the same as a zombie okay thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) but are they actually undead monsters well, they've had all their important bits cut out, so yeah, but pretty dead. There's people in politics that are pretty brainless. Oh. <laughs> there it goes again. Yep, there it goes again. <laughs> I did just look it up on Wikipedia to see if um they had a summary of the like mummy mythology of monsters and all of that, and I noticed uh, just glancing through it that many of the Egyptian animal mummies are sacred ibis. Sacred bin chickens. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Um, there was one of the areas in Luxor they were excavating a few years back, and there was actually a whole industry that was set up providing mummified animals of various types. So there was, you could get to ha- take you with you for protection and status and whatnot. So 
when when grandpa passed away and you were having him mummified, you could go to these places and you could buy mummified cats and crocodiles and all that sort of stuff to pack into the tomb with him and, yeah, help him on his way on the afterlife. So what you're saying is these pets go to the afterlife, which well, means all dogs go to heaven. They weren't <laughs> pets. They were spirit guides, and no, there weren't any dogs. Well, that's yeah, disappointing. The, yeah, the Egyptians uh, revere the cats more than dogs because they think cats are the uh, guardians of the afterlife. I wouldn't give cats that much credit. They just like to sit around and lick themselves. But if you're going to be a guardian, at least be threatening. I'm staying well away from this one. <laughs> if you disagree with me, check out Everybody Wants to Be a Cat, one of our yeah, one of our friends' podcasts from the That's Not Canon family. Very quick save there. Yep. <laughs> anyway, our next topic is from the clouds, but not the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> You want to All roll right. with these segues. Wasn't that good? <laughs> Project X Cloud. It's Microsoft's answer to Google Stadia. I was also thinking of saying Microsoft enters the Stadia. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But Microsoft has come out with a beta for Project X Cloud yeah. containing four games to begin with uh, Halo 5 Guardians. Gears of War 5, Killer Instinct, and Sea of Thieves as a mobile streaming app. So in this review that I've got in the uh, show notes here, they used a Google Pixel phone running Android 8.1, clipped to an Xbox One controller. Um, According to Wikipedia, oh. Google Pixel is a brand <laughs> of consumer. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Hang on, actually, can we go back to that voice? It sounded sexy. <laughs> No. Oh. <laughs> Google Assistant goes in the drawer. <laughs> she didn't hear that. But anyway, it's running on a blank Pixel phone, running Android 8.1, <laughs> clipped to an Xbox One controller, which um, it looks like currently you can only use controllers post-2016 from the uh, Xbox One S refresh because they have proper Bluetooth support. And they tested on a 100 megabits per second fiber connection using a 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi router. They tried using a 2.4 gigahertz router, but it was basically unusable. So it's still early days, and um, Microsoft reckon that they can get it better. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But from what uh, the reviewers are saying here, it does work pretty well. They say uh, Microsoft say that it should work well under single-digit scenarios, which there is a big difference between single-digit Australian internet and single-digit internet that actually gets above a single megabit. Okay. I, I, I will say this, though. This year for Microsoft has been very interesting. They've been doing some big moves the last few months. Yeah, it's it really started a couple of years back when Satya Nadella took over. Yeah. yeah. Right, Satya was... um was the CEO when they brought in all sorts of cool stuff like a Windows subsystem for Linux and their new um, terminal. Mm-hmm. He's also only the third ever CEO of Microsoft. True. He yeah. took over from, what's his name? He took over from Bill Gates. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, with Microsoft, the last few months was like how Microsoft introduced Mixer and and bought in the biggest gun they 
that Twitch ever had, and that was Ninja. Oh, and that and that brought waves. Yeah, it was mixed and gone anywhere though. Um, like, they made a big deal about it when they launched, but I don't hear about it anymore. They're still they're, they're still working out the kinks and stuff, but I think a lot of people have been moving moving from Twitch to Mixer. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes because I think it's probably easier to break into the streaming market than the video host market. Like, I doubt anyone will dethrone YouTube anytime in the foreseeable future. It would take YouTube really, really screwing up. And people keep saying they've really, really done it this time, but they keep going. I think it's oh, easier to get into streaming as a uh, provider because you don't have to have the insane amounts of video storage. Wait, wait till um, YouTube Rewind this year comes out. Then we'll then we'll see. Because <laughs> every I think it was the last year YouTube Rewind was was the worst video ever. YouTube video ever. Yeah. What was it? What, what What do you mean? Was it the worst video, YouTube video ever? Yeah, it was the worst video ever. It beat Justin Bieber's um baby, which was the previous rec- um worst video ever. Now that okay. says something. <laughs> I'm just amazed that there's actually a Justin Bieber video for the stop, but <laughs> there is, and it's not good. But as I was saying with Microsoft, so I don't know if, even with this um, launch, it feels like they're trying to one up every company they can think of. Like na- first it was Twitch, and now it's state, now it's Google Stadia. Yeah. Anyway, would you be uh, interested in getting a Google X Cloud subscription? I mean, the Microsoft X Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about a Google, but maybe a Microsoft. Oh, I still don't, still not a huge fan of uh, streaming games. I want to own them. But yeah. um, I mean, technically, with the way like Steam Store and stuff word their EULAs, it, um, you still don't own them. But it's nice to have the uh, hardware in my house and know that I can play even if my family are all home watching Netflix, which. If uh, living in Australia, I wouldn't be able to use this. Yeah, PlayStation also had that same idea as well. In yeah, terms PS of, Now. Yeah, they weren't targeting the uh, the mobile market though. Nah. Project X Cloud's first launch is mobile, and Stadia I think was a uh, portable option. But PS Now required you to own either a PC that could handle it or a um, a PlayStation Four. Yeah, I I know, man. Like. It's early days, I, I guess, with Stadia and and Microsoft, but I've heard like with the Stadia launch that it was not well received at all. Did it launch? I thought it only came out a couple of days ago. I think it. Hang on a sec. Oh, it's launch date. It's a month's time, actually. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was thinking of, I've only seen like early reviews of it. I haven't really looked into it too much because I don't plan on getting one. But um, what's the general vibe you're getting then? Um. From what I'm, from what I've heard, they're saying it's uh, generally positive initial impressions. Um, there's low latency, but it depends on Wi-Fi speeds. So yeah, and I want to wait and see what the uh, the real world usage is because it um, there's a lot a lot of factors that you don't experience with a beta that you'll hit with a real world ex- launch. So right. For the first week after launch, I can't imagine it'll be usable because no uh, major online service has ever had a, like, no major content-heavy service has ever had a steady launch. Yeah. 
I'm looking at the recent article now, and they're saying that there's a founder's edition that uh, you have to pay $129 for to be, and uh, more recently the premier premiere edition to be the first online. You won't get the necessary code to access it on launch day, um, November 19. Yeah, but probably won't make much of a difference to me because I don't actually have an Xbox. So, well, I don't think you need one to use uh, XCloud. I'm happy. We'll see how we go. Like the expansion of gaming to more platforms is a good idea. Yeah. What I'm really looking for as well is a cross platform because they're like being able to access exclusives on more platforms, which of course by nature makes them non-exclusive. It's just good for consumers and being able to have multiplayer games on more platforms means more people can play and you don't end up with a game dying off on a particular console. There was one, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but the um, one of the consoles is considered completely dead, but it's got a thriving community on another platform. Uh, how popular was this console? Like, it's one of the big three. It might have been Star Wars Battlefront, the new one, number two. I really don't remember. Do you reckon these, um, like Google Stadia and... And xCloud, are they, you reckon they're trying to copy Nintendo in terms of you can play this game anywhere? I don't think so. I think there's a couple of things there. It reduces the barrier of entry. A $120 handheld is a lot cheaper than a console plus TV. Um, more people are using just their phones for things. So if you can reach them with their phone, again, they don't need to buy a PC. And it also lets the developer control the um, the platform completely. Okay. Yeah. What's also going to be interesting about this is um, will will we see the death of hardcover gaming in terms of buying the game off a store of a store physically? It's already dying. It has been for years. There's like big stores will stay for longer, but you go into uh, an EB Games these days. And like half the store is pop figures or foam guns or whatever the trinkets they're selling for the current hotness. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day going into uh, game stores and it all being games, not having any like the touchies are nice, but there weren't any of them around. But what's going to be interesting with the with those two games is are they going to is it only going to be current games or would they also include some of the old favorites? Like I know PlayStation, they used to do. The old fav- they would bring back the old favorites as well. Yeah, so the PS um, PS Now streaming had old games. This one currently only has games that have within the last couple of years, mostly more recent. So uh, Halo Five, Gears of War, and Sea of Thieves are all within the last year or so. Um, Killer Instinct has been out for a couple of years now, yeah. but I'm not into fighting games, so I don't know when. I know it was a launch title for Windows Store though. Uh, that's the other concern. If they only keep games on there while they're popular, like I'm really into retro games, how am I going to play retro games if I can't buy a copy that I can download to my computer? Because what if Microsoft decides we don't care about the licensing anymore? We're not going to host this anymore. Like Alan Wake was taken down from the uh, Steam store for months or maybe a year because the um, licensing deal for the soundtrack expired. Oh, although that being said, though, that's that's also going to be another issue as well, isn't it? Like most of the other games will have that similar situation. They'll be like, ah, oh, we're taking down, uh, let's say, oh, the old Gears of War games. 
be like, oh, yeah, we're taking them down because the legal paperwork. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Yeah. Although the other interesting thing with the cloud gaming is the biggest one, the biggest one, I think, um, that's, I think, still pretty popular, I reckon, is um, Steam has their own cloud gaming as well. Do they? They, Yeah, they call it the Steam Link. That's different. Steam Link is a in-house tool. It hooks up to your personal computer and broadcasts footage from your computer to your TV. Oh, okay. Okay. And it was discontinued in 2018. Yeah. Oh, okay. The only people who are better at killing products is Google. That's the other concern. <laughs> Have you ever um, seen Google kill a product? What's the guarantee Stadia will be around two years from now? Uh, it won't last long. It's entirely possible that it won't. It seems like a, I mean, it's a good idea in in theory, but in the current state of things, I don't know, man. It's okay. But what am I gonna do in my bunker when the bombs fall and I have no internet? <laughs> gonna be bored stiff. Build weapons. Weapons are for killing people. If... That means you go outside and you meet people. I don't like people. No, but you have to have something to help repulse the zombie hordes as they come to take over. <laughs> which allows you to do lots of welding and soldering and create all sorts of explosive devices and not get in trouble can I make a battle bot to go and kill zombies yeah alright bring on the apocalypse <laughs> personally I like the idea of a, a drone with a lawnmower attached just make your drone out of lawnmower blades instead of like no 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 because you can have because you can when I say lawnmower I don't mean like the tiny little ones you use in your backyard. I mean the big industrial size. Like the kind you strap on the back of a tractor? Yeah. The, the, kind, the kind with a five-foot blade. Nice. They, they usually weigh about half a ton to a ton, depending on the size. So, yeah, you need you need one of those really big drones. I think that's called a helicopter. <laughs> no, no, no. You've got the military-sized drones that they're designing for mounting weapons platforms onto. Um it's capable of lifting that sort of weight and carrying it and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, just strap one of those or have four of them in tandem on the corners operating together. And then you can just hover it across the top of the zombie apocalypse horde and just bring them down to size. That reminds me of um, when Pacific Rim came out. People were doing the calculations for the... um, whether the eight, I think it's eight, Chinooks could carry a, a one of the Jaegers because they had this really cool sling system where the helicopters were all tied together and tied to the Jaeger and they'd fly them out to where they needed to be to fight the Kaiju. And someone eventually pointed out, you know, this thing would have to have like the density of a piece of styrofoam for it to be able to like, be so big and carryable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back to the... Uh topic though i have a uh, what do you reckon the console consoles be will be like you reckon they'll be compa- you reckon they'll have a compatibility issue like what do you mean like let's say if i have a sony playstation i want to hook up the x um oh actually no an, an xbox to the um x cloud i don't think that's a thought they've had or at least nothing that they plan for yeah it, as far as i can tell from what i've heard it's um all online streaming yeah. Although there's also although the other th- problem with gaming nowadays is how people are now clamoring for cross platforms, and it's going to be interesting. Microsoft and Google trying to do cross platforms. Uh, it's less of a problem for Microsoft because it's um, in-house. 
the key issue is that controller and the input lag are never going to be as good as what you can get on dedicated hardware. But anyway, what do you have to tell us about this week, DJ? Oh, I've got a very interesting debate going on in the land of Hollywood, and that is uh, Francis Coppola has been making some really interesting remarks about Marvel movies, and a couple of directors have been firing back, including um, James Gunn. But uh, the, uh, Francis Coppola's remarks, um, they're in relation to what happened a couple of, I think, Last week, yeah, last week, where Martin Scorsese was uh, said said this line, "I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema." Um, when he was coming with when his relation with Marvel movies, uh, and he continues on saying, "Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well made as they are, the actors doing their best they can under under the circumstances is theme parks." This is the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional psychological experiences to a, another human being. Now, he said that remark, and man, a lot of directors and um, screenplay writers were all up in arms saying, oh, Martin Scorsese, you're a heretic. Oh, duh. Yeah, like, so James Gunn's first response to Martin Scorsese's comment was, I'm, I was outraged when people picketed The Last Temptation of Christ without having seen the film, he tweeted. I'm saddened that he's now judging my films in the same way. That's That said, I'm always... I will always love Scorsese and be grateful for his contribution to cinema. You know, people picketed um, Life of Brian as well, which means yeah. Life of Brian and Last Temptation of Christ are the same level of art. Yeah. Um, one of the screenplay writers wrote saying, while he salutes Scorsese as a genius, he says, anyone who thinks Marvel is only trying to make theme park rides is being unjust and cynical. So, and then a couple of other act, um, actors and directors came in, like Robert Downey Jr. says, I mean, it plays in theaters. I appreciate his opinion. Uh, it's like anything we need um, of different perspectives. Uh, Samuel Jackson went on saying um, he, everyone has an opinion. And then um, Francis Coppola decides to come in. <laughs> and it was pretty funny. He, what, what, and what he says, um, when Martin Scorsese says that Marvel pictures are not cinema, he's right because we expect to learn something from cinema. We expect to gain something, some enlightenment, some knowledge, some inspiration. I don't know that anyone gets anything out seeing the same movie over and over again. Oh, burn. (laughs) Martin was kind when he said that it's not cinema. He didn't say it's despicable, which I say it is. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny. (laughs) I like this guy. Yeah, cop. And then, uh, James Gunn wrote on his Inst- in response to Coppola's remarks. James Gunn wrote on his on his Instagram page. He goes, "Many of our Godfathers th- uh, thought all gangster movies were the same, often calling them despicable. Uh, some of our great grandfathers thought the same of westerns and believed that the films of John Ford, Sam Peckinpah, uh, and Sergio Leone were all exactly the same." I remember a great uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy, was it boring. Uh, Wait, 2001 was boring, or Star Wars was boring? Uh, 2001 was boring. There is no hope for this planet. <laughs> He further, he, further later, he further goes on to say, superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, out-of-space out, out adventurers. Some superhero films are awful, some are beautiful. 
like westerns and gangsters and before that just movies not everyone will be able to appreciate them even some geniuses and that's okay and that's all <laughs> now when- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You look at it. It's, it's interesting, though, seeing two, pers- two directors having two different perspectives, though. Oh, it's just the way it goes. No one likes being told their favorite genre isn't artistic enough and every generation has thought kids these days suck (laughs) and if that's true then we've had a steady steady slope of suckage for the last like two and a half thousand years because aristotle wrote kids these days have no manners they don't stand up when their elders enter the room Mm -hmm. they eat with their elbows on the table yada 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 (laughs) Really? Where did he write that? <laughs> In amongst all of his stuff that I've read, read of his, I've never read that anywhere. You're reading the wrong translation. <laughs> uh, like even the guy who directed um, Iron Man and um, and the Jungle Book, uh, John Favreau, he's saying these two guys are my heroes and they have earned the right to express their opinions. Uh, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if they didn't carve the way. Uh, they say they serve the source of inspiration. You can go all the way back to swingers. They can express whatever opinion they want. And well, um, at least he's not being all. I don't like it when mummy and daddy fight. <laughs> the big, uh, the biggest one was interesting. Was um Kevin Smith. Um, if you guys know, um, he's a really really big comic book nerd, and he's coming up with his recent um uh, He Man anime series and. He puts that saying, Martin Scorsese has such has made such wonderful movies. He's been doing the job since I was a kid. I'm not going to sit there and be like, I know better than him. That's his feelings. Uh, what, what did he say? Martin Scorsese probably doesn't have the emotional attachment to these movies that I do. When he sees those movies, he's like, that's a theme park. When I see those movies, that's the closest I get to being my dad at the movie theater again. I respect his opinion, but I don't don't think he has the same emotional attachment that a lot of us have. It's the men and women that we relate to in the movie and not the super part. Yeah, well, they must see something in it. I, 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 okay, I will say this. With, with the movies that Scorsese and Coppola make, they're all, like, really dark and um, gritty. <laughs> like, in, with Marvel but movies, they, they have been... Pun? Are they different? Because they said Marvel movies are all the same, so are Coppola's movies different? Coppola's movies are not... Oh, oh, that's a pretty interesting question to ask, but you want to field in, Buck? No, I'm wanting to hear yours. Is this the DJ admitting he hasn't seen a Francis Coppola movie? Wait, I've seen... I swear I have seen a Coppola movie, though. I swear I've seen one, but I just don't know what what movie it was. Dang it. There's there's a couple of movies of his that are absolutely the top of the legendary strain. And having seen a number of his movies... The only thing that I can say that's the same out out of them is the brilliance and level of detail. Ah, there it is. Uh, yeah, the only couple of movie I've seen is Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
Yeah, but with Coppler and 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 um, Scorsese movies, they're always the gritty. They always they have a dark element into it. Like with the current stream of Marvel oh. movies now, we're seeing it's. I have to agree with um, Scorsese on this one. Like how it's always the pop culture. It's always light. It's there's no like emotional depth kind of thing. Like the only closest thing to that, the only closest Marvel movie I can think of that has that bit of an emotional depth is Logan. And that's not a standard Marvel movie. Like when people talk about comic movies, they mean the main uh, Marvel movies. They don't mean Logan or Watchmen or any of the other obscure ones. Like Kingsman is a comic movie, but it's in no way lumped under the same umbrella as Avengers. Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree that the Avengers movies, like, and by Avengers, I mean all of those characters, which I suppose now they've all come together, so they all are technically Avengers characters. But anyway, the um, the movies all feel very similar. Yeah. I mean, if you think, the more you think about when the, with those, um, like the Avengers movies, for example, there, there's so much brand placement in most of the most of the movies. Like you would see a Samsung or you would see a, a, um, a beer com- a an alcohol or something or something like that in, in all the Avengers movies. It's like brand placements everywhere. Yeah. I never noticed that until I uh, started watching Cinema Sins videos. Oh yeah. Like, especially the um the Fast and Furious series has some really um heavy product placement for Corona. And <laughs> the uh which it must be working because it's in my head. But there's a um <laughs> in the Cinema Sins videos on those movies they make a point of pointing out product placement and being all like, hey, have a um, have another Corona. <laughs> so it just comes across as really on the nose when they point it out like that. Yeah, yeah. What about you guys? Would you agree with uh, what Coppola and Scorsese have been pointing out, for ye- pointing out now after all these years? Um, look, I'm not going to disagree with them because it'd be pretty much the dumbest thing I could ever do. Um. <laughs> But I, honestly, yeah, I, I've been saying myself for quite a while that a lot of the um, Marvel movies are very much a hippie sort of a feel to them. It's more of a feel-good than anything else. Like Infinity War was all just totally, we can save the world if we work together. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was looking for the Smurfs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was the entire feeling. that like With a lot of the Marvel movies... It's that you, you expect the, the Smurfs to come out going, la, 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 and a rainbow <laughs> coming across. It's just, yeah, it's just. It, it feels like, it, 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 like whenever I think of Infinity War, the way you guys say it, it just reminds me of those anime tropes. It's like, well, we can defeat the whole, we can defeat the bad guy with the power of friendship. The power yeah, actually, of friendship. That was the other one I was trying to think of is the Care Bears and Captain Planet. why aren't they in the marvel universe they fit the entire persona that's coming through in the movies because they haven't sunk that low yet but you know what i mean like like i'm not going to diss any of the got any of the directors here but like there francis ford coppola is literally like one of my all-time favorite directors and yeah like when you look at his list of movies that he's done, he's right at the very top of all the genres right across the board. 
like because you got Godfather, Apocalypse Now, Dracula. Um, the Offsiders was a completely different train of movie. But then he also did Jack with Robin Williams in 1996. Like just the the breadth and scope of his work. And let's not forget this is the guy who also did American Graffiti, which completely shocked a lot of people. And then let's take another left turn. In 2006, he did the Marie Antoinette movie with, um, what's her name from Spider-Man? Uh, Kirsten Dunst. That's it. So, yeah, it's he... The, the one thing that he has is that depth of story and the detail. Like, any of his movies you go and look at, the details have always got to be right. Like, you go look in all the Godfather movies, the costumes, the cars, everything is all clean. Um, the Offsiders, everything in it follows exactly with what the book said to as close as he could get it as far as he's able to in the movie. Uh, the Rainmaker was another one of his brilliant movies. And he he sat down with lawyers and actually worked out how can we make this happen to fit this story. And it wasn't like the I think who was the author for the, the book, The Rainmaker? Um wasn't it um oh Crichton? Michael Crichton? I think so. Um oh no it's John Grisham. John Grisham Grisham that's man. it. Who was himself a lawyer. And but then Martin Scorsese wanted to make sure it was uh, not Scorsese. Um, Coppola wanted to make sure it was all up at the top of the le- level. Still, like he he never does things by half, and it's it's always got to have a strong story. Like having having someone like this turn around and say your movies again kind of suck because it's such a weak storyline. Kinda hits home. So yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, Danny Jr. was also... And another recording hiccup there, our uh, voice recording software decided it's too emotional at Buck's <laughs> impassioned argument and decided to bugger off. <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, I agree with you there, Buck. It's There is a, lo- a lot of depth and stuff that Coppola and um, Scorsese put there. It's to a T beautiful and they, rely, they, they work on the story more then instead of make instead of half asking it, and I agree with you there. And Robert, da- it's interesting you mentioned that because Robert Downey Jr. said this um, quote: "There is a lot to be said about how these genre movies, and I was happy to be part of the problem. If there is one, but how they have denigrated the era, the art form of cinema. When you come in, when you come in like a stomping beast, and you eliminate the com- competition in such a dem- demonstrative way, it's phenomenal." Yeah, but. So he's not. It's like they're trying to c- compare themselves to a lot of the old gangster movies and cowboy movies. And the reason that Coppola stands out is his movies always had that depth that I was saying. Like, yeah, I, you, you gotta you gotta look at it. Like, do you, do you want a movie that's gonna be a flash in the pan? You can watch it, walk out, and forget in five minutes. Or do you want a piece that's gonna be an iconic piece that's gonna stand? And face the scrutiny fifty years from now, like absolutely, this is, Buck. This is the guy who's done movies such as Black St- the Black Stallion back in nineteen seventy nine. He did Hearts of Darkness, The Great Gatsby in seventy four. All these different movies, you they're all iconic pieces. Like this is you're being being taken out and, and slapped in school by the guy who create created the, the movie The Godfather. 
and also Apocalypse Now. Like, my, like I would just sit there and just go, hmm, maybe I should just go back and look at what I've been doing to see where I've gone wrong. It's kind of, it's kind of like one of those, it'd be like Danny Trejo coming up to you and saying, you, 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 you want to think about this because, yeah, like, it's, it's this most stupid thing you can do is to diss out on these guys. Well, I, I like how, well, with James Gunn's response to Coppola's ones, I like how he said, like, superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cow, cowboys, and outer space adventurers. I'm like, oh, really? I don't really think so. Uh, no, it's in gangster movies. If you get killed, you stay dead. <laughs> well, okay, here's, here's the thing, right? There's more iconic lines out of um, Coppola movies than pretty much anyone else, as far as I'm aware. You got so many lines out of The Godfather, such um, he's he's sleeping with the fishes. Well, I make I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Things like that, or in Apocalypse Now, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Like uh, it's just it's, what's even the even the music in The Godfather was just perfect. Yeah, what's interesting though, from what I've, from what I've gathered, it's ba- all of these guys are all basing it all on the economic standpoint like oh our ma- our movies made more money so we don't give a shit about you scorsese or coppola we don't give yeah, a shit and that's bullshit frankly it's absolute rubbish because 50 years from now is anyone going to be going to film school to learn about the adam sandlers or the james guns of the world but we still study um kubrick scorsese coppola that stuff like gets talked about. Um, one example that uh, one of my game development lecturers kept bringing up was uh, Sergio Leone's movies, because mm-hmm. like on the topic of uh, setting a scene, but no one's going to go and pick out pixels as their example for setting a scene. No, like, you, you could still go buy the Godfather trilogy as a box set in DVD stores now. Like people still want to buy these movies, and they're okay, not, quick, and they're uh, not oh. being sold at five dollars for a movie either. It's like, like I, I've actually got a copy of the Godfather trilogy, and I think it cost me almost fifty dollars when I bought it. That was going back over ten years now. Okay, I got a question for you then, guys. Let's put let, let's put the in terms of cost. Would you? Okay, here's the one. Would you rather buy a Lord of the Rings trilogy? Or the Godfather trilogy, if you want to. Well, I've actually got both already, so. Unless well, you All didn't. Right. Have, you, you the didn't rich have guy, I'd go for Lord of the Rings. But see, Peter Jackson isn't doing the run of the mill movies that the, the Marvel characters are coming out in. His movies are always pretty good. <coughs> Hobbit. <coughs> well, even even when it's bad, it's still on an epically good scale. Yeah. But anyway, we're um, having a great big argument here and we're running out of time. So we should move on to the games for this week. So what have you, you been playing, Buck? Um, I've come back in from the sea and I've jumped into the tanks. So I'm playing World of Tanks. And how's that going for you? Um, still pretty new at it, but it, it's fun. Running around, shooting other tanks and all that sort of stuff. Build, building up my um, fleet of vehicles. Is the gameplay particularly different to World of Warships? Um, the general mechanics are the same, uh, but I, you just you're on um, land rather than on the ocean. 
but you're also limited. Like you've only got the um, standard gun, whereas on the World of Warships you've got um, different types of ammunition. I haven't encountered that in the tanks so far. So like World of Warships, you've got high explosive and um, armor-piercing rounds, and then you've also got the option there with some of the ships where you have torpedoes. So and you got just I don't know. Like it's so far from what I've seen, it's a lot of fun. You, it, I'm still too new to really compare them too intricately, but the general mechanics are, the, are very similar. What's the biggest flaw you've encountered so far? Um, nothing really, because they've tried to make sure that all the tanks that they use are as close as they can get them to the historical accuracy. So yeah, so far, nothing. I haven't had any real problems except what. My one problem I do have is when I've shot the um, track of another tank and it, it doesn't seem to be doing any damage. So you didn't encounter any like buffering issues or anything like that? No. No. Okay. So what have you played, DJ? Um, I've been playing uh, Magic the Gathering Arena. I've uh, got my mastery done, so I've got so I've got a lot of uh, color decks. Like I got a black and red deck, a black and black and blue so various various decks to try out and yeah we've just been playing online and getting well while i'm getting horribly smashed and <laughs> i've been smashing the other guy so but yeah it's um it's fun to play the only downside to this game though is the um the waiting time for for moves to be um completed that's my biggest annoyance so is that animations or is it waiting for the uh other player or is there an actual wait timer it's the animations that really bugs me like let's say for example you want to destroy a monster with an instant and it will take like it won't it won't be immediate it would just be like a minute or two and you just wonder like hey guys what's going on wait a minute or two yeah that's ridiculous for a card game yeah i know but um it's the more I think about, the more I play this game, uh, it just reminds me of Yu-Gi-Oh at times with the whole animations, like the when you get a legendary creature, yes, the a dragon comes out. All right, well, I've been playing BattleTech, which plays like a uh, a pretty graphical skin over a the classic tabletop game. Ooh. And honestly, I forgot to ask you guys what you guys rate your games, but <laughs> we'll I'd do give it this one, yeah, I'd give this one seven out of ten. Because the um, the camera is wonky. There's a nice cinematic camera. It looks very good when it works, but I feel like it only works about fifty percent of the time. The um, the rest of the time, it will show you the back of a mountain while your mechs are doing their action on the other side. And the uh, the UI is quite busy because there's a lot to keep track of in mech games. But it um, the tutorial isn't great. There's a lot I had to figure out by trial and error or looking it up. Like when you um when you negotiate a contract for your mercenary crew and you're um you're negotiating about how much salvage you can carry home with you, your character like your contract will be like one slash four. And it doesn't tell you what that is, but uh, I after a couple of missions I managed to I made the connection that you get one priority piece, which you select and get to keep no matter what. And then it fills in the other three slots or four slots or whatever with um, just random loot. 
from the loot pile. So I think, right, and I've had a look online and I'm not the only one complaining about the UI, which is nice. I'm not a not an idiot, but it does have some issues. I really like it, though. It still plays very well once you can get past that. So what do you rate World of Tanks, Buck? Um, I'm... I'm only going to give it four out of five at the moment, but that's just because I'm still pretty new at it. Um, it'll probably grow on me a bit more, but yeah, not as much fun as World of Warships. And what about you, DJ? Um, I'm I'm going to put uh, Magic the Gathering Arena up four out of five. Okay, so on to our shout-outs. On the 20th of October this year, Borderlands celebrated its 10th birthday, and uh, just a month or so ago had the fifth game release titled Borderlands 3 because counting is hard. So hey, come on, they're not the only one that has that problem. Was it King is it Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh yeah, that's one heck of a franchise. So many spin-offs. <laughs> and they can't even count straight. <laughs> and then there's like Kingdom Hearts half or something. <laughs> Oh, dear God. <laughs> but anyway, uh, on the 21st of October, the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum opens to the public in New York. In? The New York City. Is that better, Buck? <laughs> uh, I was thinking, yeah. Right. It's been open since more than just the other day. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> since 1959. Thank I you. didn't even... I could have sworn I read that right, but whatever. I'll find out when I edit this and embarrass myself. <laughs> The, there's a long ramp spiraling upwards in a large central rotunda topped with a dome glass ceiling. The 50,000 square meter space resembles a giant seashell with each room opening fluidly into the next. What is this blurb? You've got quarter mile and then you've got 50,000 square meter. Well, 50,000 meter. Who wrote this blurb? <laughs> None of these measurements make sense. <laughs> On the 21st of October, 1973, 16-year-old John Paul Getty III's ear is cut off by his kidnappers and sent to a newspaper in Rome. Because of a postal strike, it didn't arrive until November 8th, but it was starting to rot. (laughs) Yeah. Would not have wanted to be in the uh, postal service that day. (laughs) Whoever delivered that ear must have had nightmares after that. I don't know about the person delivering, but... Imagine being the poor person opening it. Oh. Yes, you reach into the envelope expecting to feel nothing but paper, but you feel something sticky and wet. Kind of reminds and, me uh, of that poem about Ooey Gooey. I think for uh, the professor, you missed your calling as a as an audio book um pers- as an audio book um narrator. Actually, when I was in year twelve, um, some kids in my maths class said you should do audio books. Apparently, I've got a nice voice to listen to which, considering we've got fans, must be at least partly true. And on to our remembrances. On the 21st of October, 1805, Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson, First Viscount Nelson, First Duke of Bronte, British flag officer in the Royal Navy, died. He died at the age of 47 in the HMS Victory off Cape Trafalgar. He's famous for defeating the Spanish Armada. Yeah. What? I was going to say, like, he was a pretty brave guy. I mean, um, his. I, I was reading his um autobiography, and oh god, he he went through he went through hell. Like he lost an arm, he lost his he lost sight of one eye, and he also um 
was a thorn in the side for what's his name? Napoleon. He yeah. defeated Napoleon at, in the Battle of the Nile. It's one of his most famous ones. Our next one on the 21st of October 1969. Wacław Sierpiński, the Polish mathematician, is known for contributing to set theory, number theory, the theory of functions, and topology, which uh, includes fractals. There's some really cool patterns uh, named after him. Sipinski curves, Sipinski carpets. Uh, Buck actually found us a video demonstrating some of them. He died at 87 in Warsaw. On the 21st of October 2014, Edward Gough Whitlam, the 21st Prime Minister of Australia, serving from 1972 to 1975. He was controversially dismissed by the Governor-General, Sir John Kerr, at the climax of the 1975 constitutional crisis. He's the only Australian Prime Minister to have his commission terminated in that manner. And there's a little known plot that the uh, CIA were linked to Sir John Kerr, and there's documents indicating that they might have had uh, some responsibility, including one that uh, they said, don't worry, we won't interfere again. (laughs) Which, CIA being CIA, I wouldn't trust. Interfering is the second letter of their acronym. The Central Interfering Agency. (laughs) To the CIA, it's the professor. (laughs) Always, um, like the name being said, is the confounding interfering antagonists. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, if we end up disappeared, uh, you guys know what to do, right? Our next one is the 21st of October 2015. Norman W. Moore, British conservationist. He died at 92 in Swavesea. He worked on dragonflies to habitats and was one of the first people to observe and warn of the adverse effects of DDT and other organochlorine pesticides on wildlife. And on to our birthdays. On the 21st of October, 1883, Alfred Bernhard Noble, a Swedish businessman, chemist, engineer, inventor, and philanthropist, with, with 355 different patents, including dynamite, uh, a element nobelium named after him. He is now the uh, the namesake of the Nobel Prize, which is the prize money for the Nobel Prize comes from his fortune, from sale for the sale of arms. The interesting thing with um, Alfred Nobel's um, dynamite invention, the initial name in, uh, before dynamite, it was Alfred Nobel's safety powder. That was the first name they were they wanted to go for, but then they, instead they they chose dynamite. Well, it makes sense because dynamite was a safe explosive because it wouldn't go off unless you wanted it to most of the time. Well, can you imagine just say like instead of we call it dynamite, we call it safety, uh, get the safety powder. Yeah. Well, before that, they had like shock sensitive dynamite. Well, not dynamite, but explosives like uh, nitroglycerin. There was stuff that, like, if you dropped it, it would explode. Some dynamite was a big part of making working with explosives safer. It was a lot safer than um, black powder. Yep. It's just unfortunate that, as with many improvements, it also happens to work better for killing people. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the 21st of October, 1929, Ursula Kroeber Le Guin, the American author, known for her works of speculative fiction, including the Hamish universe and Earthsea fantasy stories. She first published in 1959 and published for nearly 60 years, with more than 20 novels and over 100 short stories. 
She was the second woman honored as a Grand Master of Science Fiction and Fantasy, Writers of America, and a living legend by the Library of Congress, 2000. Unfortunately, she, uh, I know, sorry, she is still alive. I confused this with the dissection. No, she is dead. I'm, <laughs> I'm not crazy. Which, which, <laughs> you're not? <laughs> I'm not crazy. She is dead. I knew I saw it somewhere. She died on uh, January 22nd, 2018. Well, her, yeah, she was born in Berkeley, California, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, yes. Professor, keep up with the program. <laughs> this is birthday, not death. I'll do what I want. <laughs> on the 21st of October, 1956, Carrie Fisher was born. And I really shouldn't need to say what she's famous for, but the uh, most famous thing is probably Star Wars. She was posthumously made a Disney legend in 2017 and a posthumous Grammy in 2018. She was born in Burbank, California. And on to the events of interest. Before we go on events of interest, I have a question. Uh, Carrie Fisher's birthday was on the other day. Did you guys see the Star Wars trailer that came out? I haven't watched it, but I didn't know it came out. You, Buck? Um, I haven't seen it yet. No, sorry. Ah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. So, on the 21st of October, 1940, the first edition of For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway was published. It was priced at two seventy-five for 75,000 copies. That's $2.75. It tells the story of a young American volunteer attached to a Republican guerrilla unit during the Spanish Civil War, which is the same civil war that uh, uh, George Orwell fought in. There's quite a few famous authors who were around Spain at that time. Mm-hmm. And on the 21st of October, 1944, the HMAS Australia was stuck, struck in the first kamikaze attack during the Battle of Lake Gulf. The plane was carrying a 441-pound bomb, but it did not explode. The Australia survived the attack and was repaired and retired in August 1954. Now, I looked into it because um, I wanted to see if it was really the first kamikaze attack or the first attack during the Battle of Lake Gulf or what the qualifier there is. So it seems like while there were suicide attacks by Japanese pilots and they were unable to fight anymore, there were no official kamikaze attacks by specially trained kamikaze units until this attack on the Australia. And on the 21st of October 1983, the meter is defined as the distance light travels in a vacuum in 1, 299, Sorry, yeah, 299,792,458 of a second. This definition only makes sense because the speed of light in vacuum has the same value to all observers. Before this, the meter was defined as a particular fraction of the Earth's uh, equator, I believe. That is far. Yeah, so all of the metric units are based on a couple of decisions that were made way back in the day. Like, the meter is one... 10,000th of the equator or something along those lines. The liter is a one meter um, cubed box of water at sea level, at sea pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And then throughout time, as they've come up with better ways to justify measurements, they've come up with things like the speed of light in a vacuum. But that's all I've got for this week. Do you guys have anything to add? Um, no, you've covered it quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are, actually we do have an announcement. We are going to be appearing at Supernova, and for those who are able to join us, we are going to have a game to play. 
but you'll have to come and find us to find out what it is. And anything from you, DJ? Uh, I've got nothing except uh, uh, check out our uh, check out our, our TNC family. Um, come on, come on, you can do it. Com. You can do it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we can. You can find our other podcasts such as Everybody Wants to Be a Cat, uh, the Flip and Puff of Podcast. Yeah, and we and they can. You can also find us on on our Facebook page. And we will and our newly created Facebook group. Right, that's all we have for this week. So we'll see you next time. Remember to take care of yourselves, look out for each other, and stay hydrated. Very rude. See you guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market